The scripture passage on which the sermon is based is from Luke 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we are grateful for your word and we acknowledge our need for your spirit to give us understanding to give us hearts that are open to receive, to give us faith to believe your truth. And so we ask for these things in Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus entered Jerusalem in the event that's described in today's passage, the people welcomed him as their king. Uh, Luke tells us that they spread their garments in front of him in the road Matthew and Mark tell us that they also cut branches from the trees in the surrounding area. The Gospel of John adds the detail that these branches were palm branches. And we should understand that all, all of these actions, the spreading of, of garments, the waving of palms, these were ways that in, in their culture and at that time, these were the ways that you would receive royalty. So they were welcoming Jesus as their king. And isn't that exactly what they call him in verse 38 they say blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord so when jesus came to jerusalem he he entered that city as king he came as king now the bible tells us that when jesus presents himself to us when he comes to to present himself to us in our lives he comes in the same way i mean Jesus wants to be more than just your friend. You know that, right? 
He, he wants to be more than just our shepherd, the one who provides for us and protects us. In, in, in fact, he, he even wants to be more than merely our Savior. The, script, the Scripture says when he comes to us, he comes demanding to be king, demanding to rule over every area of our lives. Rule how? Rule through his word in Scripture, rule through his, his spirit in our lives to to rule our lives. Now, for some people, that might be a new concept you haven't thought about. So here's what I want to do with this passage. I'd just like to try to tease three ideas out of, out of this passage, three ideas about the kingship of Jesus. And I'll, I'll touch on these things. First, I'd like to talk about why we need to have Jesus as our king, why we need this. Secondly, why we're afraid to have Jesus as our king, if we're honest, okay? And then thirdly, how... How we can overcome that fear. So why we need King Jesus, why we fear King Jesus, and then how we can have Jesus as our king without being controlled by our fear. All right, so why do we need Jesus as king of our life? I want you to imagine, imagine a Christian and a non-Christian are having a conversation. Maybe it's a Christian woman speaking to her unbelieving son. Maybe it's a Christian man. He's talking with his, his agnostic neighbor. And, and the Christian says to the non-Christian, you know what you need? You need Jesus. All right? And the non-Christian responds with a very good question. Why? Why do I need Jesus? Now, what, what does the Christian say? Maybe, maybe the Christian says, you need Jesus because he will bring so much happiness into your life. You seem a little bit down. He just will bring you joy and happiness. Maybe maybe the Christian says that, or maybe the Christian says, you need Jesus because, no offense, but I've been observing you. You've been kind of wandering aimlessly through life, and Jesus will give you a sense of purpose. He will give you purpose for living. Or maybe the Christian says, here's why you really need Jesus, because of what he will do in your family. I mean, amazing things in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids. He just does wonderful things for family life. Maybe, so maybe the Christian answers this way, and maybe those things are true. But this passage seems to be indicating that the reason why we need Jesus to be king in our life, listen, it is much more profound than any of those reasons like happiness and and purpose so here's the passage jesus is approaching jerusalem the people welcome him with joyful acclamation it is a very happy occasion but jesus knows and we know if we know the story that this is not going to end well Right? I mean, this is, this is not going to end. In just a few days, the, the same city where people are singing praises to Jesus, Hosanna, and I, this is going to be the city where, it, where Jesus will suffer and die on a cross. I mean, that Palm Sunday is a, is a joyful day. I love Palm Sunday. You come to church, you get a free leaf, you know. It's, just, it's, it's wonderful. It's very joyful. But we always know Good Friday is just around the corner. And Jesus knew this through the whole gospel of Luke. He has been telling his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, they will kill me. We're going to Jerusalem, they will kill me. So knowing that in this city he will be betrayed and suffer and die, Jesus crests the hill called the Mount of Olives. He looks across the valley. He sees the city of Jerusalem. And you know what he does? He starts to cry. 
but he's not crying for himself. He is weeping for Jerusalem. Verse 41 says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, here's the question. Why was Jesus crying for Jerusalem? Is he crying because, oh, Jerusalem, you're not going to be as happy in life as you would have been if you had me? Or Jerusalem, I'm crying because you won't have a sense of purpose. Or Jerusalem, I'm crying because of your family. Your domestic harmony would be so much improved. No, listen, no. In fact, there are medications that can boost your happiness. You need family harmony. There are therapists who can do that. You lack purpose in life, hire a life coach. You don't necessarily need Jesus for those things. Why is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? Here's why. Because he, if they reject him as their king, they will be destroyed. That's what, it, what he says. Verse 41 says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, you know, this is a prophecy. Jesus is prophesying here. He is predicting that um, by failing to truly bend their knee before the, the honored messianic king that God had promised to send them, by failing to acknowledge him as king, Jerusalem would be punished by God um, through the conquest that would befall them at the hands of the Romans. That was his prophecy, and it came true. Not too many years after this, 70 AD, the Roman armies completely, completely destroyed the, the city of Jerusalem. So why did they need Jesus as their king? They needed Jesus as their king. Why? Because if they were to reject him, they would face the wrath of God. You can't, listen, you can't reject God's king and still enjoy God's favor. They couldn't. We can't. This is not just for Jerusalem. It, listen, if Jesus is God's chosen, holy, anointed king, he is the king of all kings, right? He is the Lord of all lords. You can't, you can't reject the king and still enjoy God's favor. It, so that's why he's weeping. Because by rejecting his rule, they will face God's wrath. And, and, and the Bible, listen, this is hard to talk about, but the Bible says it's true for us. Ro Romans, Romans 1 says the wrath of God. What is wrath? Wrath is, it's a formal way of saying hell. It's God's unending punishment. The wrath of God is coming. It's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God's wrath is coming, and that's the bad news, all right? But the good news, Romans 10, is if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from God's 
God's wrath. That's the good news. But did you hear that verse? Notice to be saved from the, the punishment of God for sin. It's not enough just to confess Jesus as Savior. The, ver the verse says you need to confess Jesus as Lord. Acknowledge his rule over your life, his, his kingship, meaning to, to be saved from the punishment of God. It's essential that, that Christ rule as Lord over your life through his word, through his spirit, right? You, you have to submit to his rule. Now, someone might say, why is this? I don't understand that. Why do, why do I have to acknowledge Jesus as king? The reason is because he is king, right? Whether you bow the knee or not, he is king. There's some people, I'll talk more about them, but in verse 39, they're kind of bothered by this, you know, Jesus being welcomed as king. They tell him, hey, can you hush your disciples? Tell them not to say this. And what does Jesus say? Verse 40, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Like if, if, if they don't, if no one, Jesus says, if no one in the planet bows before me and acknowledges me as king, it doesn't matter. If, if the stones will cry out, the sea will cry out, the stars will cry out, all of creation will worship me. Why? Because I am the king of creation. That's what he's saying here. And so uh, whether you acknowledge him as king or not, he is king. We heard from Philippians 2, that's the day is coming when every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow before him, your knees too. And the question is, will you bow now or will you bow on that day when it's too late? One uh, Christian author wrote this, scripture teaches us that Jesus is the Lord of all. He is. And the, the faith he demands involves unconditional surrender to his lordship. In other words, Christ doesn't bestow eternal life on those whose hearts remain set against him. Surrender to Jesus' lordship is at the heart of the gospel. So why, why do we need Jesus to be our king? Because if you don't have the king, you won't have the kingdom, right? If you don't bow before the king of heaven, you will not have the kingdom of heaven. So that's why we need it. It's pretty serious. So someone says, well, if it's that important, then, well, then just make Jesus your king. What's the big deal? This is easy. Just tell him, all right, you can be my king. But, you know, it's, listen, we all know it's not that easy. There's something terrifying. There's something in us that, that fears this and resists this. And that's my second point. Why is it that we, we fear giving our life to Christ, submitting to him as king? Well, as I said, you'll notice some people here, they had a hard time with, with what was going on. The Pharisees, uh, verse 38, says that everyone's shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And verse 39 says the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> Don't let them say this. This needs to stop right now. This kingship stuff, stop this. Now, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Why is it? Why, why were the Pharisees so bothered by this? Why did this trouble them? And they want, and it's, listen, it's so easy to be very dismissive of the Pharisees. Well, they were just bad people. I don't think they were bad people. In fact, no one back then thought they were bad people. The, Phar the Pharisees, these were the most morally upright, devout, serious-minded followers of God in their generation. They prayed every day. They fasted twice a week. They gave their money to the poor. They studied the Bible. So why were they so scared of bowing before the king? 
I don't think it's because they were bad. I think it's because they understood. Maybe the crowd's getting all whipped up and the, 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 the joy of the moment didn't, but the Pharisees understood. Do you understand the implications of this? If Jesus is your king, you have to obey him. If Jesus is your king, scripture is your marching orders. If, if Jesus is your king, he has the right to demand anything he wants of you. Nothing's off limits. You see, you see that in, in this passage. At the beginning, Jesus, he sends two of his disciples on ahead to go get um, a baby donkey for him to ride, a colt, right? And you'll notice that he didn't, he didn't ask them if they wanted to do this, right? I mean, he doesn't say, hey, guys, do you? I don't want to inconvenience you, but if you have any extra time, it would really help out. Can you go up ahead? He doesn't do that. And, and he sends them to go get this colt, and, and, and it's mysterious, but presumably this is just a colt that belongs to a stranger they're going to find on the street. And, and notice he does not instruct them to ask permission. Like, if you don't mind, could we borrow this donkey for a little while? We'll leave a deposit. You know, do you mind if we do this? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask permission at all of anyone. He just says, go. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You say, the Lord needs it. Man, that's, that's authority. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I was a kid, this passage used to really bother me, all right? I mean, this kind of troubled me because it seemed like Jesus is stealing my parents always told me, you, ask, you take something without asking. That's stealing, right? And this really bothered me. And then one day I realized this is not stealing. Why? Stealing is when you take something that doesn't belong to you. But when you are the creator of the universe, everything belongs to you. Everything belongs to you. And this is why submitting to Christ as your king, just saying, I, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty messed up. I have a lot of ways I have to change, but I'm just going to say I bend my knee before you. Your word is my, your word is my command. I will, I will study scripture. I will let your spirit work in me. Whatever you ask, I will do. Listen, if that doesn't scare you, you're not really thinking about it. Because nothing's off limits. Jesus told his disciples, Luke 14, verse 33, he said, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. That's scary. Dor Dorothy Day is one of my heroes of, of the Christian faith. A Christian social activist founded the um, Catholic Workers Movement. She, um, in her um, autobiography, she talks about how before she became a Christian, she was a... Uh, an agnostic journalist, she was caught up in a very hedonistic lifestyle, but she just couldn't get away from something in her heart, the stirring of the spirit, calling her, calling her to come to Christ. But she had a problem. And the problem was she was living with a man she wasn't married to. She loved him dearly. He loved her dearly. But this is a man who did not believe in God and did not believe in marriage. And she knew that she knew what the Bible taught about um, about God's purpose for marriage and that, and that sex and intimacy is for a marital covenant. And she knew, well, she knew the implications. And so here's what she wrote in her memoir. She said, this is where I began to be troubled. This is where I began to be afraid. To become a Christian meant for me 
to give up a mate with whom I was much in love. But it got to the point where it was the simple question of whether I chose God or man. Listen, what Dorothy Day, as as just kind of a, a, a fledgling believer, understood, she understood what it means to call Jesus your king. Like the old timers used to say when I was a kid, here's what it means. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, He's not Lord at all, right? He has to have control of your life. So do you see the dilemma that oh, this presents us? And this is a problem. This passage is telling us that, that we need Jesus to be our king because if he's not our king, we don't get the kingdom, right? We will, we will face God's punishment. But this is so hard, so scary because if he's king... He can just point to your, yeah, do you guys own a donkey? He can just point to your donkey and say, I need it. And if you don't have a donkey, it will be something else in your life. And so I wonder if there's, if there's any, if you have you ever experienced that struggle, that fear, or something that's in the Bible and it's clear and you don't like it, or you don't understand it, but it's clear, or the Spirit is convicting you of a way you need to change, someone you need to apologize to, someone you need to, re, to, to forgive, something that you need to just abandon from your life, and it's hard. It's hard. So that's the dilemma. Now here's the third point. How in the world do we overcome that fear? And, and here's what I mean. How can we just be set free from that fear so that we are, it doesn't control us anymore, and we are fear, we are free um, to follow the king? Well, I, I would say this, uh, and it's not, this is not that compliment, complicated. Um, to give over control of your life to anyone, would you agree with this? To give over control of your life to anyone, you have to be sure this is a person you can trust, right? I mean, you just have to know for sure that this person has my best interests at heart, that this person is not out to hurt me, they're not out to crush my individuality, that this person will, will love me and help me to flourish. You'd, you'd have to know you could trust them. And, and it's the same with, with Jesus. And that's the big question. If, if he calls us to bow before him and, and acknowledge him as king, the big question is, can we trust Jesus? Well, there's a detail in this passage that would suggest that we can. Um, Let me just put it this way. I don't know a lot about kings. Maybe some of you are experts on kings. I'm I'm not, but I think this is true. Most kings don't ride baby donkeys, right? You're a king, man. You want to show people who's in charge. You're, You're a king. When you show up, you're not on a baby donkey, for crying out loud. You're on a stallion, right, to show that you have power. You're in a chariot surrounded by, a, by, a, by soldiers to force people to submit because that's the way it is when you're a king. It's all a power play. It's you on top, others pushed down. That's the way you arrive. But what kind of king is this <sighs> who shows up riding a baby donkey? I mean, an adult donkey looks ridiculous. A baby donkey a colt, a foal of a donkey. Now, some of you know there was a prophecy that, 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 that foretold this. Zechariah 9, verse 9, the prophet said this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Have joy, 
Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this was prophesied. And, and this is not just like Jesus is saying, well, you know what? I want to make him think I'm the Messiah. So here's this prophecy. I'll check off that one. Go find me a donkey. That's not the, the point of this. The whole point of the prophecy, Zechariah is saying, this is how you know when the real king arrives. He doesn't, he doesn't arrive pulling off a power play, riding on a stallion. You will see, you will see one who is so humble and so gentle that when you see him, you will know. I could trust my life to him. So I just want to say this from my heart. If, uh, if today, um, maybe you're a Christian, but you're struggling with some area of obedience. That happens. It's happened to me. Or maybe you're not even sure you're a Christian, and, and you're starting to realize that this is the reason why, because it's so hard for you to just let Jesus be in charge of your life. If that's what you're dealing with today, I just... I hope you will hear this, and I hope the Spirit will speak it to you. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him. You might be saying, Pastor, come on, be real. You tell me I can trust Jesus just because he rode on a donkey? No, there's more. You, you can trust Jesus. Listen, not only did he enter Jerusalem riding a donkey, but five days later he walked out of Jerusalem carrying a cross. You'll trust him. He did this for you. I mean, if I had to take a piece of paper and list out all the people who willingly, lovingly died for me, it would not be a long list. Hmm? In fact, I don't know if you're like me, there'd be only one name on that list. And I would look at that name and I would say, if this guy died for me, I can give my life to him. And that's what he's calling you to do. So wh where is it where the king is saying go? Where is it where the king is saying give? Where is it where the king is saying trust me, listen to me? A king with tears in his eyes. That's a king you can trust. Let's pray. We ask for grace, Lord. King, command whatever you will, but please give us grace to trust and obey. Amen.